Hey leaders, before we get into this episode, I wanted to tell you about a free event that I'm hosting, your personal leadership audit live workshop. I've put the workshop together because if you want to stand out as an exceptional leader, you have to know yourself inside and out. Understanding your strengths and weaknesses is critical. And for that, you need a high degree of self-awareness and a commitment to self-reflection. Now, if you're committed to unlocking your leadership potential, then working through a self-assessment like this is going to help you to quickly identify a path to higher impact. I'll be leading you through a deep dive into the seven imperatives of my No Bullshit Leadership Framework, so that by the end of the session, you'll know exactly what areas you need to develop if you really want to stand out from the crowd. We're only opening up 150 spots, so register now at yourceomentor.com forward slash workshop. That's yourceomentor.com forward slash workshop. Are you selling a little or a lot? Either way, Shopify helps you do your thing. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. It helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. In fact, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And now you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Most of the business owners who listen to No Bullshit Leadership want to go large. What's so cool about Shopify is that no matter how big you want to grow, it gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash leadership or lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash leadership now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash leadership. Hey leaders, M here. We're finalizing Marty's 2024 speaking calendar and he still has a few opportunities available. Now you've experienced the impact that Marty has on the podcast, but that's only a tiny fraction of the impact that he has when he delivers an in-person keynote presentation. If you'd like to book Marty to speak at your organization's event, go to martingmore.com or send us an email at hello at martingmore.com and we can chat about how to tailor his powerful message to your leaders to achieve real results. All right, now back to the episode. Welcome to the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. In a world where knowledge has become a commodity, this podcast is designed to give you something more. Access to the experience of a successful CEO who has already walked the path. So join your host, Martin Moore, who will unlock and bring to life your own leadership experiences and accelerate your journey to leadership excellence. Hey there, and welcome to episode 213 of the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. This week's episode, getting a return on investment from training. Is it even possible? Last week, we looked at the professional development landscape and how you could decide in a sea of potentially useful options which one might be right for you at the various stages of your career. Today, we look at an important related issue, which is how you can make sure that the value from any training isn't lost in the weeks, months and years after it's been undertaken. During my corporate career, 
I saw a frustratingly large amount of money just squandered on training that returned little benefit, either for the individual or for the organisation. That's why our driving philosophy at Your CEO Mentor is to deliver value. And M&I are absolutely fanatical about ensuring that any training an individual or company invests in, with our business at least, yields a measurable return on investment. But you know, everyone has a different learning style and everyone applies those learnings in different ways, which sometimes makes it hard to track the value of the desired outcomes. There are often as many intangible benefits as there are tangible benefits. So today's episode is all about helping you to ensure that you're able to maximize the benefits of any training, whether you're undertaking the training yourself or paying for your people to do it. So I'm going to start with some context by looking at the underlying philosophy of training your people. I'll then look at how to set the right foundations for driving a solid ROI from training. And I'll finish with my six hot tips for getting an ROI from any investment that you or your company makes into training and development. So let's get into it. One of the most important functions of leadership is to build capability in your team. Now, there are many reasons for this, not least of which is that if your team is to be fully capable of doing their jobs, they need to have the essential skills that are required to perform successfully. And they need to be learning and growing all the time so that they can approach some level of mastery, uh, grow into larger roles, better performance, and higher levels of leadership. Now, it's easier to deal with this topic if I make one basic distinction that separates training into two broad categories. The first is the mandatory training that imparts the skills and knowledge required by your people to do their jobs. The second is the discretionary training that's designed for the overall development and growth of an individual. Now, the first type of training is the skills piece, and it's not negotiable if you want people to perform adequately. It's sort of akin to having your driver's license. So you can't drive a car in most places unless you've learned the road rules, undertaken a number of supervised driving hours, and passed a test to prove that you're competent in both the theory and the practice of driving. Just as an aside, I'm not sure how quite so many drivers in Boston seem to have completely bypassed this process. But anyhow, in a professional sense, apart from any entry-level qualification that people need in order to be hired, so for example a veterinary science degree or a law degree, you need to make sure that no one is expected to do anything on the job that they don't have the skills to do. So, for example, if you're an electrician, you might need to have studied and been certified as competent to work on high-voltage equipment. Or, if you're a coder, you need to be trained in the fundamentals of the programming language that your company is asking you to use to develop software. If you're an accountant, you may have to be trained on a finance system like SAP or Oracle, that your company uses to store financial transactions and produce reports. This stuff is not negotiable, and return on investment isn't really something you tend to measure. You have to make the investment to ensure that everyone can do the job you're paying them to do. Now, the second type of training is the discretionary training that we'd put in the broad category of professional development rather than essential skills and qualifications. And this is where we'll spend the rest of the episode. Now, you may have heard me quote a number that was reported in Forbes magazine a couple of years ago. Organisations globally spend almost $400 billion every year on leadership development. And that's just the financial cost. 
It doesn't even consider the disruption to organisations when key people are out of their roles while they undertake the training. It would appear, from casual observation, that this is not time and money well spent. For example, if you were looking purely at the financial stuff and you were looking for a minimum return on investment for this to make sense, at a company's weighted average cost of capital, that would imply that this training spend generates around $450 billion of lifetime value compounding every year. Now, I expect that we are collectively far from that number. So the question then becomes, why do it at all? If we don't think this type of training creates real value, what's the point? Well, I guess part of it is that it's expected. We feel as though it's something we ought to do because it's the right thing. And anyway, if you throw enough mud against the wall, some of it's bound to stick, right? Let's talk about building the foundations for return on investment. The first obvious barrier to ROI is having the mindset that the training itself is sufficient. It's not. Last week, I briefly mentioned the 70-20-10 methodology of adult learning. 70% of the learning comes through the -the on-the-job assignments and experience that people gain. 20% is from the interactions with those around you, especially the mentoring and coaching you receive from your boss and others who may have already walked the path. And the final 10%, yes, only 10%, is from formalised training. So it's really worth bearing this in mind when you think about the context for any training. If the formal learning component is only 10%, then arguably it's only the appetizer to the true implementation of the learning and your ability to leverage any new capability that you might acquire. So in order to get value from the training, it needs to go beyond the 10%. When you send your people on any training program, it's important that you do two things. The first is to make sure you're interested and involved in the formal process of training and that you assist the trainee, for want of a better word, with interpretation and application of the new learnings. Now, that's part of the 20%. And the second thing to do is to make sure that the person being trained has the opportunity to apply their new learnings in their day-to-day work, which is part of the 70%. Now, if you can do this, you're much more likely to be in a position to capture any potential return on investment. Interestingly, the investment we're making and trying to get the return on is focused purely on the 10%. But to reap the benefits, we need to work in the 20% and the 70% as well. And this isn't really different from any other investment in business. For example, you might outlay a large amount of capital to build an asset, like a new factory or an e-commerce platform. But getting an ROI on that asset can go on for years after the asset's actually been created. And it can involve a lot of people a lot of planning, and some ongoing investment. There are some other obvious impediments to getting a return. The first is not having any measurable targets set prior to the training. Now, like any good research study, there has to be a defined outcome before the commencement of the trial so that you can see what happens, independently. For leadership training, what would you measure? Often it can take months or even years to see a real difference in the lag indicators, like uh, you know, increased profitability or a reduction in injuries to your people. But that doesn't mean you can't set the targets up front. You can measure a reduction in undesirable staff turnover, or an increase in the percentage of people at full performance or higher, or a lift in the climate factors that drive your culture. 
I've seen company-wide leadership initiatives where the only measure of success was the number of leaders trained, with the target being 90% of the company's non-executive leaders. This proves nothing, it delivers nothing, and it returns nothing. You'll never know if you achieved an ROI because you didn't measure anything useful. Then, there's the common problem that we in Australia call sheep-tipping. That's the one-size-fits-all bulk training exercise. Everyone goes through the same training, just like a flock of sheep going through the sheep dip, regardless of their current leadership level, experience or development needs. And this type of training is much less likely to give you a decent return on investment because it's not targeting the specific needs of the individuals. Now, this is great if you're just training your people to get them on the same page. Think... Um, Think things like, you know, emergency evacuation procedures. (laughs) But it's not so great if you're trying to build capability in individuals based on their specific needs. And like many areas of leadership, individual differentiation is a prerequisite to successful performance. One of the resources that we introduced to our Leadership Beyond the Theory program just this year is a guide for managers called Supporting Your Leader's Growth. This is a comprehensive document that we created to increase the likelihood that any manager who invests in their people's leadership development through LBT gets a positive return on investment. Now, of course, no matter how high the quality of the program or how well a manager works to integrate the new capabilities through mentoring and on-the-job application, the primary responsibility still rests with the individual who undertakes the training. Even though this is a Leadership Beyond the Theory resource, Today, as a bonus for our podcast audience, we're going to make this downloadable PDF available to you. It's going to help you to plan and execute the benefits recovery process for any training you send your people on. So you can download it at yourceomentor.com forward slash episode 213. All right, let me give you my six hot tips for getting an ROI on any training that you or your team undertake. Number one, set clear objectives beforehand. And we mentioned this, as with any credible scientific study, it's important to work out what constitutes success. There are many things that might be possible outcomes, and some are more valuable than others. So in line with our philosophy of simplicity and focus, look to set clear objectives that you can observe to see if the positive change has been realised as expected. The Manager's Guide I mentioned has a series of quantitative assessments that you'd measure immediately before the program, immediately after the program, and then six months after the program is completed. Now, even though the questions are relatively anecdotal, it's a great way to look back on progress. Tip number two, measure the outcomes, not the inputs. You have to measure the results you're trying to achieve, not just the fact that the training has been completed, which of course is an input. If you have the success criteria clearly identified, this is all about having the discipline to go through the measuring process at the correct intervals. For example, one of the questions might be, on a scale from 1 to 10, how well do you think the individual understands, communicates and focuses on delivering value from their team? Now before the training, you may rate it as say a 5 out of 10, but after the training, As the concepts are fresh in the individual's mind, it might have lifted to an 8 out of 10. Six months later, though, it may have dropped back to a 7 out of 10, as they fall back into some old habits. 
Now, although this doesn't directly measure financial return on investment, you'll certainly see the value of improved leadership capability over time. The uplift in leadership capability acts as a lead indicator to the longer-term outcomes like reduced costs, higher productivity, and better profitability. Tip number three, be surgical. Don't sheep-dip your people. Be thoughtful about who needs what. Now, if you're doing the hard yards of leadership, this actually isn't as difficult as it might first appear. The performance management process should already include some form of individual development plan based on the person's current performance and their career aspirations. In last week's episode, I mentioned a range of potential development options, including specific technical courses, um, postgraduate qualifications, and online learning programs. You might have three leaders reporting to you, and each of them needs a completely different development solution. So be aware of this, and make sure you employ the horses for courses principle when you're building your capability. Tip number four, the learning doesn't end when the training ends. Now by this, I mean that you need to be conscious of supporting the implementation of new capabilities. The 70% and 20% does this, otherwise the 10% of the actual formal training is quickly lost. Now the manager's guide we developed has suggestions for weekly catch-ups, finding stretch opportunities, rewarding the right behaviours and knowing when to push people back to the content. This should help you to come up with a plan that's more than just the casual how are you doing style of checking. Tip number five, speaking of weekly catch-ups, hold yourself and your people to account. Now, whatever the frequency of one-on-one meetings is that you have with your people, you want to be constantly holding them to account for their performance and development. If you invest in their growth through training, you want to make sure it amounts to more than just a nice few days out of the office. You have to be involved in the learning process, understand what they're finding useful and how they're applying it. Now, with a short course, like, uh, let's say, a three-day negotiation skill builder, it doesn't require a lot of ongoing support and commitment. But if your leaders are undertaking a longer-term development option, like the eight-week Leadership Beyond the Theory program or a two-year MBA, you want to make sure that the learnings are being applied meaningfully across the whole duration of the program because that's how you contribute to an overall return on investment. Finally, number six, be engaged with the person you're training, not hands-off. Just the very simple signal of you showing interest by asking questions about the learning will make the world of difference. Remember the old saying, what my boss finds interesting, I am completely fascinated by. So we have a bunch of sample questions in the resource, and I mentioned a couple before, but asking the individual things like, How do you feel your decision-making speed and accuracy has improved in the last couple of months? Or, have you created a no-blame-no-excuses culture in your team that characterises a constructive high-performance culture? Your interest, involvement and participation in your people's development journey is a critical element of performance improvement and ROI on the training investment. If you'd like more information, don't forget to download our Manager's Guide, Supporting Your Leader's Growth. It's at yourceomentor.com forward slash episode 213. Developing your people and building capability is a no-brainer for a leader. And a major part of this is building a pipeline of future leaders who are capable and driven to produce high performance. It's the fundamental building block in your organization's ongoing survival and prosperity. So get involved, get engaged, 
and do your part to ensure the return on investment from your training is actually realised, not just left to chance. All right, so that brings us to the end of episode 213. Thanks so much for joining us. And remember, at Your CEO Mentor, our purpose is to improve the quality of leaders globally. So please share this episode with another leader who you know is going to benefit from it. I look forward to next week's episode, where Emma's going to join me for a Q&A that looks at leaders who grow. What do they do differently? Until then, I know you'll take every opportunity you can to be a no-bullshit leader. <laughs>